0: Good evening! Hello! Welcome to X to the Zennial. How are you all this evening? You can answer that question. Maybe (laughs) answer it in your mind. I'm Kat. I'm Stella. And we
1: are going to talk to you today about mindfulness. We're going to talk about mindfulness. So is mindfulness like just this hippie jargon, new wave? I don't know what label really I'd put on there. Can we say hipster, too?
0: Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's definitely, like, a new agey way of looking at things. It's, It's definitely kind of gotten some traction.
1: Yeah. I would say in the
0: last 10 years, just because people are trying to find peace. They've got anxiety and worry, and their lives are all fucked up. Or is this, like, legit shizzle? So the research bears that it is legit shizzle. Like, here's... Here's what I know to be true about mindfulness, Um, specific to my practice. When I am working with clients with anxiety, um, because oftentimes our minds just do what our minds do, right? Like they're gonna think about what I did yesterday and what I'm gonna do for dinner tomorrow and what kind of plans do I have and I'm a terrible human, so nobody (laughs) loves me. And you know, there's like, there's a lot of things. That happen in our brains kind of automatically. And you and I have talked about the fact that both of us have anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, And so controlling our brains is very challenging. Um, Or it can be. It can be. Unless you're using
1: some hippy-dippy jargon, hipster, (laughs) mindfulness, legit shizzle. Well, but here's,
0: here's the thing is that mindfulness has been around forever. It has. Actually, I have some
1: data, some information on that and where mindfulness kind of dates back to and where the first sightings in literature and research, um, it's one of the significant elements of Buddhist
0: traditions. 100%. And so even like meditation and all of that, that is a form of mindfulness or mindful meditating. Right. Meditating. Being of the meditative state.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So uh, mindfulness is also associated with gestalt therapy, which is my clinical practice of operation. Yep. Also known
0: as the bulldog of therapies, super confrontational. (laughs) How's that feeling in your body?
1: (laughs) Where in your body is this being absorbed?
0: (laughs) But it's also part of DBT or dialectical behavior therapy. Yes,
1: and tell us more about DBT because I don't practice in that clinical setting. There are tools and skills I use in vocational rehabilitation, Mm -hmm. but I'm not up on clinical practice so much, and dbt has really come a long way since we we finished graduate sure. school so i'd love to hear about
0: that so the primary functionality in in talk therapy um has been cbt so cognitive behavioral therapy which is like identifying your thoughts what are your behaviors based on those thoughts and then how do you shift that right can you DB- give an
1: example of that
0: of CBT? Yeah, sure.
1: Do you want to do a role play? <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, <laughs> do an example.
0: But an example would be like, you know, I my kind of go-to default is um like my negative self-talk sometimes is like, "Oh my god, I'm so dumb." Right? Um it's always been kind of a thing that my brain will go to if I make a mistake or if I am not doing something right or if something doesn't work out, like my brain says, Oh my God, Stella, you're so dumb. It doesn't say instead. Well, so and and so then my behavior uh, is reflective of that, right? right. So then I self sabotage or I make things worse or blah, blah blah. Like I've done those things in the past, right? The shift would be changing that thought, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I do a lot of fact based work for myself, but also with clients in well, what is. The actual truth, not what your brain is telling you, but like, what is real? What can we... What's
1: the reality of this situation? Sure. Let's look at it from a broader What is the
0: evidence to either support or not support whatever that thought is, right?
1: Utilizing discernment.
0: Exactly. And so for me, it's like, okay, well, I'm not so dumb because of these things, right? I make good choices. I'm actually really good at life. Mm -hmm. I have these degrees. I, you know... People, other people tell me I'm smart. I must not be that dumb. Okay. Right? So then my behavior... Could you also then identify
1: like maybe roadblocks or barriers that could like say... So say my brain saying you're so dumb. Right. But then cognitively I'd say, well, no, I'm not dumb. I have this master's degree like you said. But I could also say, well and the schedule was off, and this took a long time, and right. these so are other contributing factors sure. that might be enhancing that negative thought or propelling it that you need to identify that there's more things outside
0: than just your cognitive thoughts. Absolutely. And, and so recognizing that you know, when we focus on negative things, the negative things grow. So if, yeah. if that well-worn groove of I'm so dumb is my default, mm-hmm. then I have to work just that much harder to kind of go, well yeah, I, you know, they give master's degrees to everyone, like it was a really easy program, blah blah blah. That's a harder thought to come to. That takes
1: a little more cognitive resonance thinking about.
0: Right, to, to validate to that validate. I'm so dumb, right? right? But if you are going with facts and you you have your facts pretty set, like the just the re- you can't defute a fact. Right. You can't defute <clears throat> the truth. Um and so evidence-based truth. Right. And that the evidence bears out that I am not dumb based on these things. Um so then I shift my behavior. So that's cognitive behavioral therapy. Dialectical behavior therapy is different. Mm -hmm. Um, even though it is a behavioral therapeutic model, um, the 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 basis of it is that we can hold two thoughts in our brain right we can be excited and scared mm-hmm. we can be happy and terrified <laughs> <laughs> roller,
1: <coasters. laughs> right, roller coaster right roller bungee
0: jumping skydiving yes we can feel secure right. in who we are relationships and still doubt blah 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 thing right so we can we can do that the ability to do that is real right the thing about dialectical behavior therapy is it looks at um well, it looks at how you regulate your emotions, right? Mm-hmm. Cause sometimes when we have two thoughts in our head, we behave erratically, which is like... Well, it's <coughs> utter
1: confusion. You right. know, If you're scared and then you're happy, you have these endorphins, all sorts of cortisol running through your system, sure. adrenaline running through your system. We have a biological basis yep. for... For that, yeah, for that happening,
0: yeah, and so the so there's emotional regulation, there is mindfulness, there is distress tolerance, um, and there are two more that I am looking up right now. But the the point is that it's it's a very intense therapy. It is a long-term treatment modality.
1: Like how many sessions would a uh, Ideally, in a
0: very strict setting, it's two years.
1: Wow, that's pretty intense. That's a commitment. It really is. That's a strong commitment, significant commitment to change.
0: That's good. That's great. It is, but it's also kind of difficult to, to stay with it. So the other one is interpersonal effectiveness. Um, and that one is a little bit more challenging. So being assertive rather than reactive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so those kind of four... I thought there was a fifth one, but maybe that's just it. So there's four, and you're teaching these skills in a very regimented way. You're teaching those four or five skills? in Right, in the okay. two-year program. Okay. It's very effective in treating PTSD. It's very effective in treating some personality disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, it's effective because it teaches... How to regulate your emotions mm-hmm. because oftentimes when you do have those two thoughts or two feelings, um, you're they're all over the place, and That's so then surprising. you're reactive, you're more, um, you're more prone to being defensive and argumentative, right? And so, so
1: does that autonom- autonomically be a trait factor to identify when maybe you're identifying that an individual would be good for DBT? Do you ask them like a series of questions? Like, are you very reactive? How do you handle stress? What are these things? How how would someone identify? So someone who would be listening say, wow, I have PTSD and I've been going to talk therapy and I've been doing maybe EMDR, but I'm still just not getting there. Maybe this
0: DBT that they're talking about would be. So what would be some things? there are things i use i've been trained in dbt Mm um obviously to be like a certified dbt therapist like to say Mm -hmm. that i'm a dbt therapist um there's an extensive training i did like a two-day training um but enough to get the basics on how to use the tools okay and then how to integrate them into the way that i do therapy someone who's doing just dbt therapy would definitely do it very differently than i do okay but I have recommended um, partners of clients and and certainly some clients. It really just depends because I feel effective in treating PTSD and the way that I treat trauma is is one way. The way other people do it is a different way. Um, But if you have like severe trauma and PTSD and it is affecting your ability to have healthy positive relationships with other people Mm -hmm. and you're not because I do a lot of skills training like Mm -hmm. right up front Mm -hmm. and so if those skills are not being effective in terms of creating that those healthy relationship dynamics then I would say like it's probably a good idea if you do this more intensive exclusive dbt like treatment Mm -hmm. um and so there is a clinic here in town that does it in Albuquerque um but I integrate dbt into my work all the time right? right so Um, Specifically for anxiety, I do a lot of mindfulness and emotional regulation. Perfect. Um, I do distress tolerance to a certain degree. I have used it with personality disordered humans um, because depending on when they come into treatment and their willingness to work, Mm -hmm. it's really important to kind of set up those boundaries and and teach those skills up front Mm -hmm. because the way that I do therapy is confrontive. Yeah. and direct Yeah. Um, it can create emotional distress it Absolutely. can and, and so you know I, I I have said in the past that people with personality disorders are allergic to me because I don't <laughs> not easily manipulated right and I don't take any bullshit
1: well yeah you're a very strong woman like you have a very strong presence I'm sure in the therapeutic setting I mean right. you've never been able to counsel me because you know all the laws and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, you don't want to lose your license. But yeah, you do You have to have a strong, dominant personality type, sure. it sounds like, to so go to DBT. So that's good for somebody to know up front if they are considering this modality of operation, that it is very intensive. Yep. It's very long in duration. It's very confrontational. It's yep. challenging. You're going to develop skills, and some of the skills are, are mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And
0: so I use the mindfulness aspects of DBT, um... Because they're effective, right? So there's a lot of different components and parts to it. Okay. Um, but I think that one of the... And we've certainly talked about mindfulness, right? And, yeah. and even just like using the word like, oh, I'm doing this in a mindful way or I'm being very conscientious of what's right. happening. The, the basis, both in a meditative tradition and in a therapeutic tradition, is to slow things down, right? So... When we are anxious or depressed, um, I often will identify that. And I tell clients, like, you know, depression is everything that happened before now, right? Right. You can't do anything to change that. And anxiety is everything that could potentially happen in the future. We don't have any control over that. You can't. You can't. And so so part of it is just kind of, and I tell clients often, like, stay in your lane. What is happening right now? What can you control right now? Right? right, and that's how I use mindfulness in managing those two things.
1: So that's how you start that dialogue of if putting that skill into the therapy session and into instilling that into the client.
0: One hundred percent by
1: putting. Okay, what can you? Do, what's going on around you? Let's start being conscious. Let's loosen our consciousness to start absorbing what's
0: going on in our surroundings. What's going on in our bodies? Mm-hmm. And that's that's important because when we are and anxiety is is a really good example because I think yeah. a lot of people have a certain degree of anxiety when they're dealing with something new or changes or um, you yeah. know old relationships that haven't really um, been effective or or healthy right? right so the people that I that I'm working with are. Kind of overthinking about things or I call it doom train thinking, right? So mm-hmm. um, really kind of saying, well, I, the worst, the, the what if game is like the worst game ever because it's really identifying like the, what if the worst thing happens? Like what if I don't get in that, get into school? What if I don't pass this test? What if my mom, you know, I don't know, gets cancer, like th- all of those things, right? Right. And so those uncontrollables and they're uncontrollable because one, they're usually happening to other people right. or you can't control it. Obviously. Right. What if I don't pass that task? Well, I'm going to fact check that with, did you study? Right. Right. Are you taking that class? Uh, <laughs> right. But really kind of saying like, what can you control rather than spending a whole lot of time ruminating right. or You love the word perseverating? I love the
1: word perseverating because it identifies my anxiety. But that works
0: for you. Like you can identify that that's what it looks like.
1: Well, yeah. Now I'm cued into it. And when I start having that looping, 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 drive me crazy situation, I can target in on that and be like, hey, you've just mentioned this about five times in your brain. Let's do a little self check. Let's do a little self talk. What's going on? Why are you fixating on this? What's. What's happening, and is this like in my body, or is this just in my brain? Do I have an icky feeling? Do I, yeah, like what's going on? Is this a sensory issue? Like, Mm -hmm. there's stimulation in the environment that's actually like kind of triggering this weird anxiety, panicky feeling within me. Yeah. So stopping and taking that moment, and I and identifying first, hey, I'm doing this thing, and for me, it's perseverating. Sure. For other people, it could be repetitive things as well. But what are some other things?
0: So, I mean, uh, anxiety is a broad umbrella. It's huge. But under anxiety, um, and, and when I'm working with clients, I usually talk about, okay, so there's two types generally. Um, there's the thought type, right? Ruminating thoughts, obsessively thinking, not being able to shut your brain down. Right. And then there's the panic type. So, like, heart palpitations... Sweating, okay. like, hand, like hand sweating. Like, like a physiological. Shortness of breath. Right. So there's the body type and then there's the brain type. Okay. And most people will have one or the other, uh, but a lot of people have both. The panic is less prevalent There are humans who've had panic attacks or have something that feels like a panic attack. Yeah. Um, I have to remind clients that no one's ever died from a panic attack. No. But it feels like you're dying.
1: I, I had a few in college. I had one in my undergrad. I was just walking down the dorms and boom, I thought I was having a heart attack. Yep. And then I had another one in grad school driving to class. I'm not going to say who the professor is, but yeah, it was intense because I was driving and I really, I thought I was going to die. Right. It's a very overwhelming feeling.
0: Sure. There can be crying. There can be um, shortness of breath, uh, hyperventilating, um, palpitations in your heart, overstimulation of your senses, uh, cold sweats. Um, just all of those things, and they can feel really awful. Yeah. And so, one of the ways to that I've used mindfulness in the past is, um, obviously, I'm not going to provoke a panic attack. No, let's not trigger idea. people. <laughs> but don't poke the bear. Never. Um, but it is kind of going okay. Tell me the last time that happened. Tell me what that feels like. And one of the things that happens is when you talk about um, a panic experience or Mm -hmm. a traumatic experience, your body will start to react to that, even that thought, right? It's automatic. Automatic. So one of the things is like, okay, tell me what you're feeling, right? Mm -hmm. Where's that coming up? If someone has PTSD and they've always just kind of had anxiety or, or hypervigilance or any of those kind of triggering things... What we work with is, without triggering that, um, kind of saying, well, where does it start?
1: Right.
0: Where do you start to feel it in your body? A lot of times it'll be in your chest, but sometimes mm-hmm. people get numbness of the hands. Sometimes. Tummy times. Yep. Sometimes Tummy people times. get stomach issues or they'll get, uh, you know, kind of cold sweats. Lock jaw, start clenching mm-hmm. on your jaw, tightening yeah. up your body, rigidness, yeah. Some people muscles. get hot. And so it'll start in their chest and it'll go up their head. So and they, flushing. Flushing. So all of those things. So they start to pay attention. They're like, oh, well, this happens and this happens. And oh, this. Okay. So that. that's one way for you to start to recognize. Because here's the thing. Not everybody has anxiety in the same way. Right. I can say thought type or body type, but they don't, they're not aware, certainly when they come right. to, uh, to know, well, when I'm anxious, then I get snappish or then I get uh, withdrawn, or then I get emotional or more emotional than I normally am, right? Mm -hmm. And so once we start to identify their reactive behaviors, then I can say, okay, well, here's the thing. Let's check your thoughts. Let's check what's going on. Let's check what your trigger is, right? So my first couple sessions is always about increasing awareness and then building tools, right? Right. And so the, the... the beautiful thing that I enjoy about the DBT book is that it's got some very helpful um, step-by-step things, um, and and I there are lots of DBT books. You're more than welcome to to check those out. Um, they're certainly the the ones that we use for um, treating or training clients. Um, the woman who wrote the book is Marsha Linehan okay and so she's a therapist obviously it's the one that I use for therapy um, when I'm working with clients and so um, I own the book I can make copies um obviously online it's a little bit more um you know you don't want to profit from it or whatever right uh but the the one that I like to use is the workbook and handout so it's got the handouts that are really Great. easy. Um, and so if you take my anxiety skills uh, workshop, then you can, I will give you those skills and, and process through what anxiety looks like for you.
1: But I have a question. Yes, ma'am. Tell me a little bit more. This is new to our X to the Zenial podcast information. You said when you do a workshop, can you give a quick...
0: So I, I teach skills workshops... So if people aren't ready for therapy or, you know, don't really have the time, or aren't really sure what therapy looks like for them.
1: Right.
0: I encourage people to, it's usually a two hour workshop. Um, I define what the issue is. Mm-hmm. So in this case, anxiety, mm-hmm. uh, talk about how it shows up, like where it's coming from, what it looks like. Um, the the last few times I've, I've done the training... Uh, sometimes there are clients in the room. Sometimes there are not. I usually do small groups, like five or six people.
1: It's a more intimate setting too, Absolutely.
0: Because when you have anxiety, the last thing you want to do is go to like some giant ass seminar. Come on, I want to go to a convention. (laughs) Oh my God, no. Um, so I, I do the definitional part and then I go through different exercises, right? So, um, the mindfulness ones that I love. So there's one, uh, one DBT scale, in emotional regulation which Mm -hmm. is like a five sense self-soothe um process
1: um so
0: when i when i teach it i call it the self-soothe kit right and so usually i'll do it in like the first or second session um (coughs) and so i just i give them the handout i'm like this is a guideline but i'd like to have you kind of talk to me about what your goals are in terms of calming down right or coming
1: to Possibly Therapy because these are your skills groups. Sure. What topics do you cover? What skills groups do you cover and then we'll move on to So the skills that
0: I teach uh, that I have curriculum written for is uh, the anxiety skills, mm-hmm. uh, the codependency skills. Wow. I also teach that to organizations. Um, couples communication. And then I have a woo-woo skills group, so
1: manifesting
0: and magic and all of those things.
1: That sounds fun and empowering. It really just is.
0: That's fantastic. Um, And so I usually post those on my Facebook and Instagram at Luna X2. Um, And so that's where you can find those. But I I try to do them a couple times during the year um, because they're smaller groups and and you're able to learn those things. Um, And then individual sessions. Um, That would be the
1: follow-up treatment to then really start to deep dive into CBT, DBT, mindfulness, and start learning all these mindfulness activities. Yeah, Great. So, yeah,
0: that's that's a thing. That's totally rad. (laughs) So you were going to talk about kind of some mindful practices that you have found effective in dealing with your own anxiety and like your and just brain. life and all yeah. the
1: things. Yes. So it's interesting. So mindfulness, I, I'm gonna admit I just I I started out, you know, saying this hippie jargon thing. Yeah. Because that's kind of how I felt about it. When when we were in grad school and they were teaching this, I was like, this doesn't how is this helpful? Cause I was high, high wired, stressed out person in grad right. school, um, and so thank goodness school's over. Right. I still have dreams that I didn't graduate. It's so bizarre, but I didn't pay much <laughs> heed to it. And um, in grad school, as, as a technique, cause I'm more Gestalt, which is interesting to learn that like, Gestalt therapy and mindfulness are the same. I really just practice the like super
0: confrontive, confrontive.
1: Like-, like, well, t- well, tell me more about that. Tell me more about that. Let's drive down deep into what's going on and let's root this out. Sure. Dig it out of the ground. (laughs) And so we were camping and I was just like, oh, I call dibs on starting the fire. Yeah. And I, you know, you watched me. I went and picked up the little sticks and Mm -hmm. I went and picked up, you know, some mossy stuff and then I went and picked up a little bit bigger sticks and I was very selective and picky as I'm bringing all these things to start building my foundational little teepee, yeah, right? And yeah. then I was like, oh, I'm going to start doing my teepee. And I was talking to my little fire that I was building, and it was exciting. And But I was so
0: in my head. Right. And I'm just observing this because I'm like, I mean, you make the fire. That's totally fine. But <laughs> I, I also it. know you, and I know that your attention to detail is important, not just for the sake of detail, but because for you, it's very calming to have control over those things. Right, it's
1: it's meditative. With detail, it's the attention to detail. I am a lazy person. Mm-hmm. I own it, I don't like to waste my time. So I like to be really efficient, because time for me is that anxiety trigger that's there's only so much time in the day and I wanna get all these things done, right? Mm-hmm. So in having worked and identified that, I, that's why I want to do it right the first time. And that's how I identified that this was a mindful activity to me. Yep. So I'm building this mini teepee and I'm talking to it and it's getting bigger and bigger. Then I start the fire. And then before you know it, we have a blazing bonfire. And like <laughs> after it was set on fire, like pretty quick, I mean, sure. it took me like 25 minutes to get my, my thing together. <laughs> right. But did we have a fire? We did, and it we was beautiful. Did. So these mindfulness techniques, as soon as you called me out on that, I've been paying a lot more attention to the things that I do that are mindful because I did try the coloring books. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not talking the shizzle, but it frustrated me because art is just not my thing. Sure. That's not my thing. You do creativity differently. I do creativity differently. I do that through writing. I do that through blogging. I do that through my work. I just vignettes
0: have and my vignettes, things.
1: my consignment shop mm-hmm. that I'm putting together. So that's those are the those are the things that I enjoy. So when I tried the coloring book, that again it just reinforced that graduate school thought of this mindfulness stuff's bullshit. I mean I kept it in the top drawer of my desk, uh-huh. colored pencils, sharpener, ready to go, found my 10 minutes and just was more frustrated. And was like <laughs> this is not it. So what I'm, what I'm getting at is there's different things that people can do to actually be practicing this. It doesn't have to be a coloring book. It doesn't have to be meditation. No. It doesn't have to be guided in imagery, which no. is basically visual visualization in your head. It doesn't have to be a yoga class. It doesn't have to be something soothing. For, for me, it's an active engagement because that's a big thing for me and my body and moving and expression. So gym time right. is... A mindful activity for me. I go, I put in my headset, I listen to the music, and it's the same playlist for like a year and a half, two years. Sure. Because really, I'm not listening to that music. I'm just using that beat because I'm in my head, and I'm thinking about my day. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about all the positive things that happen, things that maybe potentially could go better tomorrow. Sure. You Where I'm at, and then I'm letting go of these things. Yes. As I'm physically working my body so that goes into what you were talking about, CBT. Right. Earlier in the podcast of having that, those cognitive thoughts, the behaviors. But I'm making a link between my brain and my body. Right. To say we're exercising. So I'm producing endorphins. I'm producing a lot of feel-good, happy chemistry within my body. And that's helping my mind. And that's helping me let go of things.
0: When I'm at the gym, I do not pay attention to time. Right. It's amazing, which is really amazing because you do pay a lot of attention at time. It is an anxiety-producing thing. Um, I I encourage the gym only because, well, for two there's or three so lessons. many reasons. But but as in terms yeah. of a mindful activity, though you're doing a little bit differently, and it is mindful in practice for you. Oftentimes, I tell clients like when you are in the gym, you are paying attention, depending on what you're doing you're paying attention specifically to, like, weightlifting and those things. Like, you're paying attention to reps. You're paying attention to weight. You're paying attention to... Breathing. Breathing and do and form and all of those. And so that's a very mindful practice in that you're only focusing on doing the one thing. Yeah. Right? And so oftentimes when we're driving, when we're texting, when we're, you know, talking to someone, when we're going over the laundry list of things we need to do in our head like that's kind of scattered in all over whereas the mindful practice is doing just one thing one task right it's like when I do my
1: makeup in the morning yes I've actually that's become another mindful activity Mm -hmm. and a lot of women and a lot of men maybe um you know practice that being in the mirror yeah you know grooming hygiene etc and that's turned into mindfulness activity because i'm focusing on me. So i've noticed things about my face yeah. as i focus in on what i'm doing. Mm-hmm. So i used to just quick in the mirror, do my thing, get out of here, you know. Now i
0: need like 87 things you have to get done. Because of the time yep. thing. I got to get
1: to work. And so but i've slowed it down. I've just started getting up 15 minutes earlier. That's really all it took. It was mm-hmm. just quick 15 minutes. At first i was like this is deplorable. But um, I've noticed my smile lines. Yeah. I've noticed how my eyebrow hairs grow. Sure. I've noticed like flecks of different colors in my eyes that I've never noticed. And it's something that's like connecting yet again with myself. Sure. You know, so next time, you know, you're in the mirror, maybe you can listeners, you can practice this technique of, you know, take your time, you know, when you're shaving your beard, you know, or you're trimming, don't shave your beard. I don't recommend it. <laughs> I don't recommend it. Okay, whatever. Do your thing, it's you. But, but 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 look at when you're shaving your face, like look at how the razor and the hair cuticle, how they meet. Yeah. And what that process looks like. And look at your skin afterwards and, and what that looks like. And and really make that connection. With yourself first thing in the morning, to just set your day of a focus.
0: Well, and it's very grounding to be able to do that. Now, once you were talking about that, I was thinking, but not in like a obsessive way. No, it's helpful. not I'm a totally, narcissistic. It's but not, but not in a critical way either. No, because that's that's one of the things that can happen is that when people do perseverate on certain things, looking at reality can be really difficult for right. some people, right. and so. But find your thing, right? Absolutely. So if that's the gym, if that's your drive home, where normally we're like on the phone and we're snapping and we're all the things, you know, it's, it's better to unwind in that time so that you're not so focused on, oh, what is the next thing I have to do? Because that is anxiety. Yeah. You know, when you're so overly focused on the 87 things that you need to finish or do or complete – then you're not being able to appreciate what is good. The other right. part of mindfulness is gratitude.
1: Oh, I love talking about gratitude.
0: <laughs> well, I, I talk to clients and I, you know, I'm on my videos on, on my Lunax too, Instagram. Um, I have said, you know, I start every session with what's good. Um, and it's difficult at first because clients don't, come from the orientation of everything's good. If things were good, I wouldn't be here. Right. Um, but here's the thing. There are lots of things that are good. Mm-hmm. And if you are looking for those things and being and practicing gratitude for those things, it's a lot easier to be mindful about right now as opposed to all the shitty things that happened before now and the potential shitty things that are going to happen. Right. Shitty things happen. That's I do not deny that. life. That right. is the cycle of, of- of it. Absolutely. Everyone's got a shitty day. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so when you are paying attention to being grateful for even just waking up in the morning, right? Like when we, and everybody wakes up differently, but if we start with today's going to be a good day. Mm-hmm. because I know this because I woke up and I get to start over. Right. Right. And what are the three things that I'm grateful for? Well, I'm grateful for, you know, a a sunny morning. I'm grateful for an hour Mm -hmm. to get ready. I'm grateful um, for my family. Uh, They're all healthy and and doing great
1: things. Right. You know, I'm grateful that I'm laying here for two minutes and stretching. Yes. That I prepped my coffee to be brewed this morning so I can just lay here and stretch and
0: be in this moment. Yep. And that's mindfulness right there, being in this moment. Because here's what I know to be true. Life is long and life is short. Mm -hmm. When we want it to be long and that beautiful, amazing moment to last forever, it's fleeting. And when we are in the most terrible, atrocious, just ridiculous pain, that passes too. It does. And so the idea of mindfulness is just living in this moment. Being present. And... And enjoying the things that are good and recognizing that the things that are bad will go away. They'll stop. Yeah. You know, but oftentimes we rely on other things like distractions or, you know, substances or food or shopping or, you know, all of... Whatever fills that void. Exactly. To make the the moment either the shitty parts go away or I don't want to think about that.
1: Well, it's it's an instant gratification, and we're very much, I wonder if we could correlate kind of how our society functions. We want an answer to something, we Google it right there in our hand, and we have it. And I wonder if that correlates with rising levels of anxiety issues that are happening, and they're happening at younger rates. And so I learned from our school district that you know, this is a very real serious topic in, in children and in younger children and middle school age, high school age, and that they're working to plan interventions to start to teach children mindfulness, mindfulness yep. and gratitude mm-hmm. and communication skills and all these beautiful skills that they're going to utilize the rest of their life to hopefully then not roundabout into this anxiety but I just wonder if instant gratification
0: because we're just used to that has just become programmed into us I think that's a big part of it I mean I think that our ancestors um you know even let's say a 100 years ago um they their lives were more about well let's say 200 years because 100 years ago was past the industrial I was Revolution. like wait a
1: second we're in <laughs> factories right but it was slower going Well, it was slower slower going
0: compared to now. Right. right? But it's certainly faster than, let's say, like, you know. um, But ease of information was slower. Communication. Mass
1: communication is a huge anxiety inducer. Absolutely. I I unsubscribed from the news. I can't handle that.
0: (laughs) Well, okay, so let's say 150 years ago. Okay. um, You know, we're talking farming communities. We're talking small towns. We're talking... um, just the beginnings of the industrial revolution and so things moved a lot more slowly mm-hmm. and everything was a mindful practice yeah right we worked by the sun
1: you plant your seeds
0: right. you watch them grow sure.
1: you wait for them to ripen yeah it's a process
0: and and we were used to moving with that process that was natural mm-hmm. as opposed to moving so quickly that Right now, everything is, I mean, it's happening immediately. Right. Um, and so I think that's the challenge. Yeah. Um, that's the challenge with the ubiquity of information and the pace at which we are moving. Right? The, the planet still travels around the sun at the same amount of time. Right. What we get done in that same amount of time is a lot more challenging.
1: Absolutely. And I I keep saying slower pace, and that's probably not the right phrasing because you're
0: right. I mean, hello, the Earth is rotating at the same time. Well, time is the same, but the but what we were trying to accomplish in that amount of time is different. We've barely scratched the surface on mindfulness. um, But so maybe we
1: could do a part two. Not maybe next week. No, you're going to be on vacation next week. I am on vacation next week. Oh, so jealous. I'm mindfully
0: going to be exploring Canada. Oh, Um, yes, but I. I think that it's important to slow down and, and take those moments. Right. Um, I'm very much looking forward to just enjoying my time with my friends and um, being in a different place and eating new food and and you know. looking at beautiful Canada. Are you
1: going to a place in Canada where they speak French?
0: No. So I'm going to Toronto, which okay. is in Ontario. Okay. Um, that's more Montreal and the other part of Canada. Honestly, I I just know that I'm going across a pond from <laughs> New York to, uh, to Kent, to Toronto. Um, but I, we will not be here next week. So
1: we won't have a podcast next week and we do want to continue this dialogue about mindfulness because yes. it's very present during our conversation. That is very much a complex, very powerful, can be very powerful technique and skill to develop. And that, You know, that's not going to come from a coloring book. So For everyone. For everyone.
0: (laughs) I think, yeah, so... But continuing that. Yeah, so I want to talk about those things uh, moving forward because it is an effective treatment uh, to manage anxiety and certainly depression. Um, It's a little bit more difficult to manage depression with mindfulness if all you're thinking is negative thoughts. But it is helpful to recognize that even though... I feel like total shit right now. If I get up and mindfully go for a walk, right, with the goal of just going for a walk, right, that's a lot easier to manage depression. It's getting out. It's being less, you know, isolated in your own space. Blah blah. blah. Um, but the other thing is to really look at. Um, not everyone can meditate, right? It's I, it's. I have a hard time. I struggle. I do too. Like I can do eight minutes, literally, on a timer. Um, that's the most that my brain will allow me to do. I often tell clients, that's like... really good. You <laughs> you're on a bull for eight seconds, like, that's amazing. I can do eight minutes in my own brain uh, quietly. <laughs> but um, there are some great books, and, and the go-to that I usually uh, recommend is 10% Happier by Dan Harris. Um, you can get that on Audible. You can, get, you can get it at your library. But he talks a lot about how to... And how he has managed his own anxiety with mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, he ha- he's a reporter. Oh, and he okay. had the, the means and opportunity to kind of go deep into like a lot of mindfulness and meditative gurus. Uh, but Ooh. the way that he's put the book together um, is really helpful. He's also got his own podcast. There are things. Dan Harris is awesome. Um, but awesome. It, I do want you to, if you're interested, that's a good place to start. Um, I do a lot of of bibliotherapy or or recommending books because there are lots of books out there. There are. Um, And so there's really great opportunities to be able to inform yourself Mm -hmm. on things that I know to be true that work for humans.
1: Well, and everybody responds differently to modalities. Mm -hmm. So, you know, someone may read a book, get through it, and just it it changed. You know, it resonated. It, It there was something, you know, someone could read that book and be like, no. Because that's not their process. That's sure. not the modality that really would work for them. So, definitely looking at therapeutic processes is really great.
0: Absolutely. Cool. All right. That wraps it up today. Um, if you have feedback or you want to um, get a hold of us, it's X, the number two, T H E, X E N N I A L, X to the Zenial at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at X to the Zenial podcast. Um, you can follow me at Luna X2. You can follow Catherine when she gives you that information.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well Stella, you have a blast in Toronto over the pond. Over a pond. Over a pond. (laughs) Do you fly over Niagara Falls?
0: Uh, No, I'll be landing in Buffalo and then I'll, I'll take some ground transportation to... Toronto and it's like a two-hour trip
1: right on well Stella is not gonna be here next week so we will not be having a podcast but we will be having a podcast the following
0: week so that'll give you an opportunity to catch up if you haven't listened to all of them um but some, we bibliotherapy. Your, some bibliotherapy F- finish your book <laughs> it's your week thank you so much for listening appreciate your time if you have any feedback we are always encouraging positive feedback if you don't like us you don't have to listen And if you have anything negative to say, we just don't want to hear that. Thank you. Thank you.